Good afternoon, everyone. Waminjika and welcome to M Pavilion, an initiative of the Naomi Milgram Foundation. My name's Natalie King, Creative Associate at M Pavilion. We acknowledge the Bunwurrung as the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet, and we pay our respects to their ancestors and elders past, present, and into the future. Thank you so much for joining us for the first of our trilogy of salon-style conversations with acclaimed French choreographer, Xavier Loire. Today's conversation will be convened by Professor and artist, Lyndall Jones, and the topic for conversation is what transforms. Our panelists will be considering how choreography and performance transform the way we understand our contemporary body in both urban and inner space. We might also like to ponder how dance takes up real estate in a museum or gallery and the increasing transposition of choreography into visual arts institutions. This event is part of Xavier Loire in Public, a two-week program of performances, conversations, events and encounters as part of Creative Dialogues, a joint initiative of the French Embassy in Australia, M Pavilion, the Victorian College of the Arts, University of Melbourne, and ACME, led by Dance House Melbourne, with special thanks to Caldor Public Arts Projects and Carriage Works Sydney. We would particularly like to thank choreographer, dancer, and conduit extraordinaire, Becky Hilton. Conduit extraordinaire. <laughs> I didn't know how to qualify your enormous role. Angela Conquet, CEO and Artistic Director of Dance House, for the enormous pleasure of working with you. And we would also like to welcome dancer Scarlett Yu, Xavier's collaborator. I'll now hand over to Lyndall Jones, who will introduce our speakers and set the scene. Set the scene. <laughs> welcome, everybody. Um, while we get the balance of these uh, mics right, um, if you find that you can't hear, can you just, just stick your hand up in the air? And uh, we, uh, Katie's doing a fantastic job on the on the tech, and uh, so we will uh, we will just uh, sort that balance out. Um, it's a it's a very lovely afternoon, and um, nonetheless, the uh, the business of actually trying to have a salon in a um, in an outdoor space probably is the crux of uh, something of what we're going to be addressing this afternoon. There have a number of speakers here, all of. Uh, all of whom have played a pivotal uh, role in um, in dance and um, uh, in, in cultural activity in Melbourne, and I think this will occur over the next three weeks. Xavier, um, who uh, is the guest of honour in a sense, um, and will be uh, showing some of his work at Dance House later, um, is. Um, uh, um, actually going to say, say something else I'll, uh, um, is, is uh, obviously uh, has, has arrived here from Sydney having undertaken a, um, a major work there um, uh, through uh, John Caldor's project and um, we won't get to see that but I thought we might actually start uh, with, uh, with uh, Becky here who because Becky is in fact one of the participants of that project so I thought perhaps if we if we start with the, the specific event that has just occurred and we can then open it out into a, into a Melbourne scene. 
Before I do that, though, I would just like to talk a little bit about each of the speakers. Some of you will have some notes on these speakers, but nonetheless, I think they're fabulous. And so I'm actually going to read them out, uh, just so that you're, you're really aware of and uh, can be suitably proud of the, uh, the, the cultural kind of depth that uh, is actually part of not only this, uh, this uh, uh, platform, but of course, you know, of the, of the Melbourne art scene. So I'll, I'll start with Xavier for, for those of you who haven't uh, seen his work. He holds a, a doctorate in molecular biology from the University of Montpellier in France. Since 1991, he's worked as a dancer and choreographer and has since become one of the most influential choreographers and dance thinkers of our time. I think that's safe to say. I think that's very nice. Um, over the past two decades, he's collaborated with numerous acclaimed dancers and artists around the world, including Tino Segal, who has credited Loire as being the inspiration that led him to introduce uh, his dance work into the visual arts. Loire's work has been shown in many international festivals and institutions, um, and you can actually have a look at that, uh, look at the, the notes yourself for, to go into those in detail. Um, and his solo work, Product of Other Circumstances, was presented at Dance House in 2009. So some of you may have had the chance to see that. And more recently, Untitled 2012 was presented in Sydney, as I mentioned before. And your, uh, your solo work will be presented uh, next week, I believe, yeah, on a number of evenings at Dance House. Yeah, it's called Self and Finish, and it's yeah. the... Friday and Saturday. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Friday and Saturday. I think you need to. Yeah, house. Yeah, you'll need to book. I think. <laughs> Get in there fast. Okay. Um, Becky Hilton is uh, on here, registered here as an Australian dancer and performer. She also teaches, choreographs, restages, and writes about dance. Over three decades, she's collaborated with a range of Australian and international artists, including Russell Dumas, Stephen Petronio. Michael Clark, the list goes on, Lucy Guerin, Matthew, ba Matthew Barney, among others. Some of her current collaborators include uh, Krista Parkinson, Ben Speth, Tina Segal, and Xavier Lua. Oh, yeah. She's currently writing a book on danceness. Um, it's taking a long, long time. I know, she started it ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, Deanne Butterworth, um, and I should point out that Deanne was uh, doing some kind of improvised uh, dancing. You may have seen her around the edges in a sense of, of the, um, as, a, as a kind of warm-up for the afternoon for us all, which was fantastic. Um, she's a choreographer and dancer who performs in the work of dance and visual artists and has her own choreographic practice focusing on collaborating with others. In 2016, she will undertake a Masters of Urban Planning. I haven't got in yet. You haven't got in yet. She hasn't got in yet. She's hoping to. She's really hoping to. If you can to. help. <laughs> Diane has worked with Shelley Lassiker, performed with Danceworks Company and Philip Adams Ballet Lab. She's collaborated and performed with Joe Lloyd and worked with a, a range, again, a range of choreographers, um, many of whom you will also know. On the line there, yes, Mick. Mick Douglas. Mick's an artist and initiator of projects across performance art and design who has worked and presented in Australia and New Zealand, in South Asia, Europe and North America. 
His work ranges from large-scale socially engaged public projects, W11 Tram. Um, many of you will have seen this, this wonderful tram work that occurred um, on the free tram that went around Melbourne. What, what year was that, Mick? 2006-07? Was... Yeah. Okay, it was an extraordinary hit and it transformed, in a sense, how people started to consider the possibilities of, um, of artworks, not only on the surface of the trams, but, but within them, and how that, that might uh, transform the relationships within the tram. Um, he's done uh, s solo durational performance projects, presented at the Performance Arcade and New Zealand Festival, collective creative process-driven projects, and a recent series of what he calls circulations, performance installation works in um, Croatia, the Bahamas, Rarotonga, Japan, Melbourne, and Manila that explore salt to activate encounters in the dynamic interrelations of locality and globe. Globe, globe, uh, globality. globality. <laughs> okay. He's the artistic director and curator of performing mobilities. Is globality a word? I think Mick made it up. Is there a word? No, I think you made that up. Oh, globality. Make up all sorts of globality. Stuff. Um, uh, he's the artistic director and curator of performing mobilities, the Australian cluster of the Performance Studies International 2015 Project Fluid States and he's a creative practice researcher at RMIT University. Wendy Lassica, on the end. Wendy originally trained and worked as a dancer and choreographer. She also holds a master's degree in urban planning with a planning practice working at the intersection of cities and culture. She's an award-winning theatre producer working with Brian Lipson on Look, and a number of uh, important projects uh, listed here, and with um, Lipson and Obazanik on a new work for 2016. She's been a director and board member of Next Wave Festival, chaired funding panels for Creative Victoria, developed a new strategic plan for Clunes Booktown Festival, been general direct uh, manager of Stonington Symphony, managed a Playwrights Award at the State Library, and was commissioned by the Australia Council to research a how-to book for emerging artists. She founded The Field in New York in the mid-1980s. Recently, she was in conversation with UK cultural planner Andrew Dixon for Open House, spoke at art, art houses, the Supper Club on Politics in the City, and emceed the Urban Design Forum for Planning Institute of Australia in September. Now, I have read them out um, so that, it, in a sense, it gives you all a framework from your own place of expertise to join in this conversation as it goes on. Um, I'll, get, uh, I'll get the conversation really happening here first. What about you, Lyndall? Um, I'm the facilitator. <laughs> I'm a visual artist, but I do have a background in dance um, and uh, movement um, from a long period of time ago. Um, it's interesting because in Australia, what, what I'm excited about about this panel, I have to say, is that in Australia, I was at, at, at a time required to make a decision about which art form I was supposed to be part of. Um, it was, uh, it was um, unfeasible to continue across art forms in this country. And I think that's been challenged to some extent, although I think uh, forums like today hopefully will, uh, will continue to challenge that. Um, I, uh, many of us have, especially in a small cult culture, have voices that are really important 
across more than the disciplines in which we are, um, we are at any one point in time um, um, involved in. So thank you everybody for taking part. I thought it might be really interesting to hear, first of all, uh, as, as, as Xavier is the guest of honour and will be here across three of these events, uh, it's very enormously generous of you to, um, to do this. <laughs> Across three events, it's fantastic. Welcome. Yeah. So I, I, I wonder if, however, we could get Becky, instead of if obliging Xavier to start each one, maybe getting Becky to start by describing something of the event that has just occurred in Sydney, and then maybe we can go on from there. Um, do, do most of you know that Xavier was... Uh, brought out here with his collaborator Scarlett Yu to make a work for the Keldor Public Art Projects. It was project number 31 and it was called Temporary Title 2015. And he worked with 18 Australian artists, Australian collaborators, and we worked for three weeks full time mm. yeah. with one day off a week. Uh, on developing the work with Xavier and Scarlett, which we presented last weekend uh, for on over three days. It was a six-hour exhibition, so it was open for um, uh, <coughs> six hours. I said that already. It was three days, six hours. The public was invited, the visitors, as we called them, were invited to visit and come and go of their own volition. So... Uh, we were, as you probably know, if you know one thing about this work, you probably know that we were naked. <coughs> <laughs> that seemed to be the thing that uh, initially captured a lot of uh, the imagination. But it became very much part of it, but certainly not at all what the event uh, seemed to generate, from the inside anyway. Do you mm. have thoughts on that? <coughs> Well, it was always referred like it was, yeah, in the in the press or in the questions that comes uh, as one of the first uh, worry. Yeah, it's <laughs> so like people were worried about it before it happened. But, but, but it seems like everybody was worried that the other worry. <laughs> it's not really. I don't really mind worry, but. Yeah. What about the other and the kids? Yeah, this was a, a one mm. of the sadnesses was mm. that Keldor Public Arts Project has a big relationship with schools and young people, a whole mm. education program, getting people to come and experience the art, and that basically was not a, able to happen because the uh, mm. performers were. But what we can say in relationship to to the introduction and maybe to the subject is the the intention in making this um, work an exhibition <coughs> although it, uh, it is done with a performer and it's alive so um, the, the desire is to <coughs> um, make something that uh, is not referring or tries as much as possible to refer to be placed in one category or the other, uh, following what you, you, this difficulty that you you say you you had when you were in your you had to choose a discipline. I think it's it's still valid, uh, and it's it's something that that is difficult to 
to tackle because uh, now we see more and more, for example, in museum, it's a, it's a time where museum, exhibition space, visual art is, seems to be interested to or re be re-interested in uh, or interested anew into uh, introducing live uh, actions in, in museum. Uh, there is a, a sort of a panic, I sense, of like, uh, uh, I read very often uh, dance in the museum, how do you want to bring dance in the museum? I always say, like, I don't want to bring dance in the museum. There's also a funny anecdote about this. When I started to do my work, uh, I was classified as a non-dance choreograph. Now, uh, being a non-dance choreograph, non -dance. Uh, I am supposed to bring dance in the museum. So my answer is always, uh, how can I bring dance in the museum when, when I have I'm done non-dance? Non this doesn't work. But it's, it's, a, it's a little anecdote, but it tells very much about the... There is a there is a panic. I don't know why, but uh, and, and, and there is a necessity of identifying what what is it we do, what is it the other do, instead of looking at what, what is. this thing does to you, um, and that's that's um, maybe something we were trying to to do with this or. Yeah, with this work for sure. There was a, um, as part of the uh, residency and presentation and exhibition, there were a series of open rehearsals. So we would do a version of the score we were working with and the public would come and then stay and we'd have a question and answer period to... So we could learn about how the work was being perceived, received, but it became very clear that people were so desperate to know what you, what Xavier wanted from them somehow, that, that even though the work had a very open offer, people could come and go, you could move around in relation to the work as much as you wanted to, people didn't do this so much. But um, that in this question and answer period, it seemed it was, it was such a significant thing that people really, instead of being like, I, this is what I saw, there was this mm. real desperation, actually, right? For, for people to be like, what was your idea? Like, what do you want from us? You know, when the whole offer was somehow really about the opposite to that, to this idea of multiple subjectivities, that whatever... Whatever you get is what you get, and it's completely valid. That the work was really working at this, but even though this was one of the prime interests, like, and we felt like in, from inside the work that it was really built into the work, people still were desperate to know the what the author's initial idea was, so they could organise their thoughts around it. This was really mm. interesting and kind of surprising to me <coughs> somehow. This might be an interesting time. Mick, I just wonder if you could talk about, for a moment, about uh, how this might have applied with your tram. Because in this situation, the travellers were also the co-performers, in, in a sense. Mm. They were getting on... It was Maybe if you start by describing the tram itself and, uh, uh, and then talk a little bit about some of the kinds of reactions to, of this wanting to understand your intention. <laughs> Mm. 
Um, well, snapshot of the project, W11 Tram and Art of Journeys had two seasons. The first one was commissioned by the Cultural Festival of the Commonwealth Games in 2006, where the program which it was invited to be a part of was working with artists of current and former Commonwealth nations. So with a bunch of transport-based projects behind me, I invited some Chamakpati Wallers, vehicle decorators from uh, the city of Karachi in Pakistan um, to do what they do to a particular minibus route of minibuses in Karachi to a Melbourne tram, bringing about a bit of a, a crash or a hybridity between two iconic forms of transport in these two different cities. And for me, it was motivated by the uh, the rising Islamophobia and a complete misunderstanding, a misapprehension uh, and, and ease of making prior judgment about the hospi hospitality practices of different cultures, and in this case, um, the Islamic hospitality in Karachi. So this vehicle um, created a, an exterior and interior environment of excess, which interrupted the, the coolness of Melbourne aesthetics um, uh, and on board there were three different programs of events as this tram circled the city circle route for free. Um, the first one was Tram Overheard where I invited two people who hadn't met each other to undertake an amplified conversation like this um, for one lap of the city. Um, so it was a journey of dialogue between two people who were interested in matters of hospitality and the public realm, um, transportation and transformation. Um, and then the second type of journey was called um, Tram Overboard, which was invited uh, improvised performance journeys, artists of different genres, types, practices, um, leading a, an improvised performance journey for one lap of the city, which would take about an hour um, from uh, dancers to musicians to poets to comics and more um, live artists and the last one was called um, tram what was the other one tram otherwise which was building on building on what happened during the Commonwealth Games which was really a discovery through the project and that was that when this environment, which had the same tapes that are played very loud in the W. Guerrera minibus in Karachi, when those tapes are played on the, um, in a tram in Melbourne, um, it generated a, a, a strangeness um, that had people respond palpably with their bodies with these um, popular Punjabi um, and uh, Pakistani tunes that have a pretty accessible rhythmic beat. So people and, would dance. And at 11 o'clock in the morning, people would find themselves oh, wow. and then getting up, and <laughs> which was a complete surprise to me. Um, so it really disarmed people um, and people then became witnesses to each other's responses in this environment um, where the environment was hosted by a Melbourneite and Karachiite um, hosts and we would move around offering tickets um, as a as a physical gesture of meeting, um, so there was a very low threshold. Some people would step up into it. Oh, it's a tram. <gasps> can we get in this? Is this our tram? Can can we authorise ourselves to? Um, so there was often a, a negotiation that I certainly witnessed about how people would 
um, either maintain their inhibitions or prohibitions or authorise themselves to enter into the uncertainty of what this situation might offer. Yeah. So maybe, Xavier, just to come back to you then, the, the, it's, it's really interesting, that moment of inter interaction that you and Becky were both talking about with the audience and, their, and their, some of their anxiety. I'm just wondering uh, how people did get beyond that. What was the vulnerability? What actually did act occur uh, as a result of an extended period of time, which I'm presuming was uh, happening? I saw a bit of it. Some of you may have seen uh, sections of it on Lateline. Uh, extraordinarily beautiful um, extended time work where it seemed to me that the people who were most vulnerable were the people with their clothes on, actually. Um, so I'm interested to know how, uh, how the environment took well, over, in a sense. Well, it's difficult to generalise. It's, it's a big panel of uh, different mm. reactions. Uh, some are, like you described, that they visitors feel more vulnerable wearing clothes than mm. not wearing. So there is this reverse uh, perception. Uh, some, I think, I, I have remember one comment uh, of a visitor saying it's very challenging and, and difficult to, to go over it somehow. Mm. Mm. Uh, there was this one a uh, person during one of the public rehearsal who, who, who I, I call him the melted carpet. He, he just became the carpet. Like, it, it just like... It's amazing. So, um, it, it contaminates so much what we, we did in, in, in this body. That, that, so, uh, there was this kind of uh, reaction. Then we have a, some a bit more complicated uh, so numbers in. yeah uh, yeah well it's a lot of exceptions it's, it's we cannot make a generality and that's also what the work tries to do as the as the the each artist can at one point and engage in conversation with the visitors so during the public rehearsal that's one place but also during the work there are a lot of uh, uh, feedback that are uh, singular individual that are circulating through I see some some of the people were in the work or, or uh, here yeah, so, yeah. so they they could but nothing that we can generalize about yeah. but mm -hmm. a sense that potentially the the visitor have often expressed something that has been transformed in their expectation or in, yeah. It also was very different that the open rehearsals were two hours long, so people would come and they would know, so, so people, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I think in general treated that more like a performance. Like you came, you saw an hour and a half of a performance and then you had a half hour conversation. So people's kind of visceral, mm. physical kind of responses to that were very different from when it was the six hours and people would come and stay and literally melt. Mm. <laughs> like bodies, people would sit and you could see people like, oh, and then they'd stay and stay and stay. So there was actually visible transformation in the bodies of many people. That was mm. one quite strong. And then this amazing thing, we would, there was a mechanism inside the work that we would at any moment break 
what did we call it, interrupt mm. the work and uh, address someone in the public directly and say, hello, my name's Becky, may I ask you a question? And we're naked, exhibiting <laughs> lion behavior and um, they're sitting there thinking they're very safe somehow from this. Uh, but this, I, I thought this was really interesting because I've been in, I've, I've witnessed performances where performers have done this and come up mm. and told you a story or something. So you're there, like Tino's, these mm. associate, Tino Segal has a work, is it these associations? I, very bad, I get them all mixed up. But where performers, Amara was in it actually, was it these situations? Anyway, where the performer would tell you something, a story that was very intimate to them and related very directly to their life. So as a, as a visitor, I felt very, like I was responsible for something. Like I got given this thing I had to be careful with somehow. Whereas this mechanism was very different because we were asking you a question. So often people would, it, there was a sense of matched vulnerability that even though we were naked, they were being asked to share something with us. So there was a kind of sense of balancing inside the work in that way, I think. Mm. Wendy, um, I wonder if, um, because you're most recently involved really uh, deeply in um, cultural and urban planning, it seems that, that some of these questions and these concerns about uh, relationships between people are, are completely um, imbued in the kinds of decisions that have to be made. Can you talk about some of the more interesting ones that, that have actually addressed some of these particular concerns? Well, um, what I'd actually like to start with is to kind of pull out a bit and look at um, sort of at, um, at, at cities as the kind of um, centre our space, I suppose, because I think some of those relationships might be um, put into a bit of context if we talk about it, you know, at a city scale. So when when I um, when I think about cities, you could broadly, you know, describe them as being made up of a number of different elements that include the natural environment that it's situated in, the built form, and the people and the communities that inhabit them. And um, what what cities are really are the relationships between all those elements and how they're negotiated. And that works on a number of different scales. And it also works in a number of different ways. It's a very dynamic relationship. It's constantly changing and evolving. And um, you can look at it from the minutest interaction um, to the grandest global interaction. So, for instance, a personal interaction, a personal performance, you know, in a particular space or not, with others or not. You can look at it on a neighbourhood level. Um, you know, there's a, a very famous American urbanist, Jane Jacobs, she talks about the neighbourhood dance. It's the constant toing and froings of how everyday life unfolds. You can talk about it on a city-wide scale where you um, look at what's described as the flows of desire, which is so movement-oriented in its description, and talks about work, living, play, and how all of that is connected and what you need in order to make them connected. 
And then you can also look at how cities are connected to other cities and everything else that they need and look at the traces that are created through everything that goes to cities, everything that leaves cities, that sense of movement that is constantly happening around us. And then there's also historic traces. So, you know, the, um, the rhythm of the day-night city. It's not constant. It's con constantly shifting. Different things are happening. Different traces are being left. There are seasonal changes. And then over long periods of time, different things occur. And you see what remains, what goes, and what might be there in the future. So those sort of overlays, it's like one big improvised moment or ongoing structured improvisation that's mitigated by things like um, factors to do with the economy, socio-political beliefs, um, environmental concerns, and cultural practices with a small c. And that's what drives the choices, the way we perceive things, our relationship with the city, with spaces of any, any size. So I think in terms of public space, you have to look through a number of different lenses and they might help to open up how to engage with those spaces and how people are taking away different things from the experience of what they've seen. And, and oh, Xavier, do you want to respond? No, I was wondering, isn't also the public spaces differences, different lenses in themselves rather than from there? From, from there. I see it rather like this. In terms of experiencing them? Yeah, because, uh, like, let's say, uh, this place is a public space. Yes. Um, the, the lenses that are given to me to experience this place are given to me by this place. Of course, I can decide to go on this tower and look at it differently, but... Uh, Being inside it. Yeah. yeah. And there's also, there are shifting functions for many public spaces, this one included. Roads are a great example as well. Mm. I think roads are fabulous public spaces, but we think of them in quite a narrow way. So I mm. think it's the way, it's the way, that's, um, it's kind of what I meant by what, the mitigation of, of how we perceive, how we use, it's mm. not, not everybody's, um, is um, functioning in the same way mm. globally in terms of how we how we use space. I also think that's a classic um, planner artist perspective at work here. Like a you know that from from here you're looking at it from here, and mm. from a planning perspective it's looking at it from a kind of more zoomed out place maybe in mm. terms of the way we experience and understand them. It's interesting. I think there's something else at play here too. I mean, historically and the presumption uh, culturally is, uh, is that artworks occur in quite prescriptive places. And, and either we make works that inhabit those, place, those same places and challenge them, or we actually choose other places if we want to if we want to actually be seen, if, if we want our ideas to, act, to inhabit the, um, a, a different kind of relationship with those spaces. 
I'm, I mean, Deanne uh, began this with a with a with a, a dance work that was very quietly performed around as people were gathering. Um, maybe if you'd like to mention what what was it what was did it feel like to be dancing out around here with with people actually gathering for this uh, event? Um, it felt kind of secretive, I have to say, <laughs> but I think I intended it to be like that. You need to go closer. Oh, it, it did feel kind of secretive. Um, in a way, but I intended it to be like that as an offering to um, begin uh, begin the talk today. Um, and I suppose what I was trying to do was something that I've um, well, was kind of trying to read the space in a particular way through movement or the architecture of the space and the location of the space. And I I didn't necessarily want the people who were coming for this talk to be the audience for that. I would have, I preferred that other people um, who were just using this site, and some, I did speak to people as I was uh, working, and that they um, didn't know that this was here, which I kind of loved as well. They didn't know this was no, here? No, they didn't know Impavilion was here. They were playing on a Tom Bass sculpture over there, <laughs> which I, yeah. Um, Deanne, you've had a pretty interesting experience lately, I think, in in response to what Linda was just talking about, about, like, uh, do we can take the space, the public space, or we can kind of cooperate with the institutions and bureaucracies that kind of manage the space. They're like the choices, right? It's yeah. kind of binary. You can either go guerrilla or you can... Uh, go through the processes, you know, this is a very classic. So Deanne has had a pretty interesting experience. Uh, um, I mean, I've done a, a few things which have happened outside since maybe 2012. Um, and it's, I've, I used, I mean, I still work in the more conventional performance space, but I wanted to um, investigate what it was to work outside. So. I'll touch on three or two projects. One of them took place in a service station, a convenience uh, store, independently owned one in Collingwood, and it almost formed the perfect set. Um, and it was just a, a performance called Performance, which happened on twice on a Friday night. And um, it involved people going in, 10 different performers who weren't, they were both dancers and non-performers. They went into the space and, and bought something and walked away. But the thing is that they did it in very, very slow motion. So it's the idea of just slowing down time and observing things quite differently um, and noticing what happens, noticing how people interact with other people when the opportunity is, is there or when the situation or the banality of the situation is shifted or the pace of it shifted so that um, people observe things really differently. Um, I'll jump forward. So yeah, there's a, I mean, a couple of other things I've done outside and it's all been involved, the way it's happened is that myself and another artist have gone to um, a, a location that we've wanted to work in as a site for performing and we ask permission and it's granted and it's all very easy transaction. Um, and I've been involved in something, this will happen for the first time this week called um, Test Sites, which is run through the city of Melbourne, which is a new initiative which offers the artists to um, 
use the outdoor site in CBD as a, a studio. So I proposed that I'd work on a site for seven hours, which is maybe how long I might um, give or take at the studio in a day. Um, and I think it came out of the fact that there weren't many... Um, studio rents are high, you know, in the city. There's, you know, how do we bring artists back to the city and for them to work? Um, so I worked on a site uh, next to St Paul's Cathedral on Swanston Street, directly opposite, diagonally opposite um, Flinders Street Station. And um, I wanted to work with the site there so that um, looking at the architecture of the building, the, the sculpture there of uh, Matthew Flinders um, and the lawn and the trees and kind of examine what the site is now, like what, what's happening there now. And I propose to do that at two other sites in the city. One is at the State Library Forecourt and the other one is um, a privately owned but very public space in at the back of Collins Street. But it's difficult to do that, and I think, <laughs> because um, uh, what, what is... Um, there's, a, there's a need and a want, I think, for, or a desire for artists to be out working and for that to be visible, but the actual... Um, how, how can you make that happen? Because as many regulations is another thing as well. Maybe, maybe Wendy... Uh, if you'd like to pick up on this issue, <laughs> it's... Um, I don't know that I want to talk about the regulation. <laughs> it's not one of my favourite things. But, but perhaps um, how to uh, get around them, even. <laughs> but I, th I think, too, that, you know, the um, public space, by its very nature, is public space. And part of um, working in it is, is um, understanding what what its function is in terms of you know the surrounding area who's using it what they're doing it you know what's going on there and also you know what what those um historic traces and rhythms are for that for that particular space what those relation existing relationships i suppose are for that space um and you know next to st paul's cathedral is just multi-layered for lots of different reasons. Fascinating place. Um, but others, perhaps, you know, the back of a private building in um, Collins Street might have much less function, but actually be more productive in terms of what, you know, what you need to do. Mm. But um, less of the interesting engagement of relationships with other activity and other people that's around it. So it's about making those choices, I suppose, about what that, what you want from it. Yeah, I had a. Oh, sorry, Diane. No, go ahead. I had an interesting uh, recent experience in relation to this question. Like, what, what, what do I want from this, and what actually happens? Uh, I was through Dance House. Actually, it was a residency at a public housing estate in Carlton. And the idea was just this, that me and several, a bunch of about six younger artists uh, would twice a week just be, go there and work in the public space there. It was a, quite a low-rise housing estate. It wasn't one of the big ones. And there was lots of activity of people crossing and we were working in this little garden. And the idea was that we would go there and work on something and that people would just see dance happening and maybe come and ask us what we were doing or but 
it turned into this, the first day someone came up and said, what are you doing? And we said, we don't really know. It's this, we're kind of using your public space as a dance studio. And, and they were like, oh my God, I can do Kung Fu. Can I teach you? And we were like, okay. <laughs> and so it turned into this Kung, was it Kung Fu, Alice? Yeah, Kung Fu session, amazing. And all these kids started coming out of the woodwork. So they were like, eight of us and eight of them and we're all learning Kung Fu and then the next, so that was great. Then the next day someone's like, I do Ethiopian dancing. So we were like, okay, great. So it just turned into this, every time we went there, someone came out and taught us something of theirs, which was, Alice, was that was kind of extraordinary. And then we tried to keep, we tried to contain this by making this really long, boring phrase <laughs> of debt. We tried to notate it or um, document it by making this endless uh, movement phrase that contained everything someone taught us. And that was, but we learned Ethiopian dancing, we learned Turkish dancing, we learned, there was a very old man, Chinese opera singer who would play, we get, try to get us to sing We Still Call Australia Home all the time on his, so it just became this party, the Turkish lady would bring the coffee to it, like it just, became this thing that I had no... I thought we'd just be there going like... <laughs> I don't actually know what I thought, but it turned into this whole other quite amazing uh, thing where people were like, we got stuff. And people, you could tell people would be there waiting for us when we got there, they had a plan. Sometimes there would be, there would be, oh, the Chinese lady with the ribbons. Like she came with all these ribbons and she was teaching us this ribbon dance at the same time as you know, the kids are running around. We learned hip hop from the kids. Like it was completely crazy and amazing. I don't really know what it was, but the one thing I really, uh, was an amazing experience. But at the end, someone said to me, you're just gonna go. And I was like, yes, that's true. I am just, this was the most profound, like that we generate all of this, activity we open, we make public space we you know and then this woman who had a son jack who was there every time waiting for us this eight-year-old she said jack's had a lot of people coming and going from his life you're gonna do that too i was like oh like I, it hadn't even you know so we're we're trying to set this up as a weekly residency so many different artists go and work there once a week every Saturday and what it was I don't think is particularly sustainable I don't think it could just keep growing I don't think I think we learn almost every dance that it's possible to learn from that particular block, block of flats but um it would just be in really interesting to keep it going as a private public space somehow like a, but it was yeah it was really incredible but that question of like what what are we doing this for who are we doing this for and wh what are we trying to do was really uh deep i don't have any answers to it but uh i'm still in touch with helen i'm still in touch with many people there and we're yeah trying to set up this kind of weekly thing that will just go on forever so, but it was a very, that, I mean, that is a really interesting question, like in terms of what are we transforming? Like what are we, in, in kind of real social terms in relation to drawing people towards art? Like what, what, what are we, what are we doing?
Yeah. It's interesting because uh, I've, I've had a project in a small country town for 10 years and I can tell you what actually happens over a really long period of time. People do come and go and it actually can become incredibly fraught. Um, so, so and, and complex in lots of ways. Oh, thank you. That's, that's a lovely time. <laughs> um, um, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. What it seems to me that what we're really addressing here is the is is the nature of 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 the interaction of of, of relationship between space and our work, between institutions and the and the ways that we engage in it, and between the people that we. Uh, where we sit up with audiences. And what I'm actually going to do here is something that Becky's already started in a way and is very, very good at, and, and the others are coming in on. But uh, I'd actually like to set this up as a kind of a yes and proposition. So we have, so we just take, take that as a starting point. And maybe Mick, if you'd like to, to just go off on that and then people can jump in so that it's not, a, it's not held back. And that way I think it'll be easier in a little while when I open it up to people for it to be, uh, to, to, to open out further. Yes, and temporality yeah, for yeah. me is really important. So in a few of the comments that have come up so far and in my own work and my experience of temporary title 2015 yeah. last weekend, um, I was really interested in the way that there is an entering into a different non-linear temporality that shifts us from our, let's say, normative production consumption orientations within the urban domain, which often tends to dominate our transactions, and has us um, implicated in the decisions that we find ourselves subject to in terms of time, how we surrender to time, give to time, don't have the time, and how the cyclical nature of I'm certainly interested in cyclical ways of making work with time and what hasn't been talked about in that work is the very cyclical nature of the work over the six hour period. It wasn't one arrow's trajectory yeah. in that six hours but it was a turning over onto itself and through that I think really interesting interruptions take place and transformations take place. No, I don't need to say nothing. You said, go on. Get going. Is that it? I was thinking about what uh, what Becky said. It's, it's uh, also, maybe I hear this in, in your fit, feedback, is when the when it's the public who does more on the work than the work does on the public, where we, like, this, this all the... The, the things are very maybe that one like would like to be able to do uh, I hear in in your desire forever <laughs> but but I think it is only uh, temporary uh, it has it, it needs I don't know why but it needs a it needs, it needs a re renewal or a reconfiguration of um, it. These things cannot be es established, and, that's, mm. and I think that's that's why the the, the use of live actions uh, they they have they have this in themselves 
and that's their power, or I believe that's then their power, which is very different than this uh, sculpture trying to give us the sense that the the, the weight is going to go, but it's never going to go because it's going Usually to be there forever. Usually people steal that, Xavier. <laughs> it gets stolen a lot. What do you mean? The, the, the thing, yeah. It's, this uh, gets transformed constantly, this uh, sculpture. That's great. And people put different things in there. And, yeah, it's diversity. Yeah. Keep going. That's my specialty. No, yeah. no, I'm finished. <laughs> It's temporary. So. It's all yeah. temporary. It's a series of mm. temporarinesses, though, mm. isn't it, somehow? I think that mm. everything has a natural lifespan from instantaneous and over to forever. But, you know, I don't think that nothing... I think... Did I learn somewhere the other day that, you know, we kind of recreate ourselves completely in seven years? Oh, yeah, complete cellular renewal. I don't really believe that, though, but... Are there any scientists here? Oh! Yeah, we've got one right here. He's a biologist as well. Do cells really renew every seven years? I don't know. Like you they say, get PhDs you can, out pretty easy in fact. Yeah, to make, to, make you, to make you believe or not in something exactly that works. You don't believe in it. <laughs> but I think there's also um, an interesting element of control too that comes with um, you know moving let's say performance out of a very controlled environment like a black box into a public space and uh, I think you know potentially what that in a black box it's not just the performers who know exactly what's going on, the audience also knows how to react. They know how, where to sit, what to do. In a public mm. space, all that's up for negotiation. I don't think so. <laughs> well, I, th I think it's culturally prescribed, but to a, only up to a point. I think it's a different set of uh, control that is more difficult to to grab, but it, it still is uh, constructed artificially, like the street, the light when you go, when you cross the road, when you don't cross the road, places where you, like some parks you can hear, you can lie on the grass, some uh, other country you cannot. So it's, it's another way of, of I think, uh, the, the, the set of convention or the set of controls are, are, are different and maybe more complex uh, because the limits, even if we know where the, the garden finishes uh, and the, the conventions are different in the garden than they are on the street, mm -hmm. hopefully, uh, don't lie there uh, on the street. It's better to lie on the... <laughs> so these things are operating. I think it's the same... Um, for me, it's the same... Pro or it's not the same problem, but you, you can transfer this problems, questions produced by a black box in, in other, like in a white cube, other set, different questions. Uh, a park set also a different question. This uh, pavillon uh, place, uh, I, I, I think. Are you talking about conventions? Well, I, I, I because I, I heard the, the the difference between controlled and not controlled. 
And I think in, especially now in our society, is, is, it's n less visible, but, but they, we, we are extremely. I would agree we are extremely uh, controlled, but I think that there, there are more moving parts to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, a, in a public space than there, than there are, not in one, in a private space. Yeah, it was yeah. actually interesting in temporary title because would you call that a public space? Well, a carriage work is a public space. Yeah. I mean, they invite a lot of private events, but it's still <laughs> private. weddings. Yeah, but it's still a pu public space. Yeah, and it's the, and the you perform. They are. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You, yeah, no, sorry. The exhibition was free to the public, so people were very free to come and go. But the behaviours were much less kind of radical than I was expecting. I don't know radical is the wrong word, but people behaved there there was a very there was a convention at work, definitely. Yeah. We are very polite people. <laughs> going uh, all the the people who go to these places are, are very polite. And looking for the rules mm. maybe too. Uh, I mean I yeah. think we're all kind of gathered together trying to understand the rules. Often, Always. yeah, yeah. This is our uh, one of the. I don't know. What do you reckon, Mick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rules? <laughs> no, I'm curious about what, how you deal with the in the tram, because this is like this is all set off. It's a public. It's mm. it's outside, but. I think uh, for me the the entry and exit into yeah. this spatio-temporal condition is really pivotal. Um, and in the nature of temporary title, I experienced it as a constant process of entering, an invitation mm. to enter, to enter, or certainly that was my motivation being interested in the duration of it. Mm. Um, and say in the tram project, it was all about the entry to it, that this thing would be heard before it was seen and that people would then have doors opened in front of them um, there was no, because it was on a route which is known to be free, there was no threshold yeah. about yeah. economic exchange and, and I really appreciate that out of the Caldor art projects, that mm. there is no threshold of economic exchange to mediate your entry. Um, and therefore you do find yourself entering into what's going on here. What are the conditions that enable this to happen? What's expected of me? What are yeah. they doing? Yeah. Um, is it over? Has it started? Is it? And I find that a really productive condition to cultivate. And so, so much of our um, interaction, even in public spaces, we can find ourselves, um, given the nature of the momentums of the urban condition that we uh, just continue to operate w without actually um, stretching for the kind of parameters of yeah. what's possible here whether that's looking for the rules or just mm. only targeting you know, this aspect whereas there's a whole lot of other possibilities that happen and of course in many Asian cities especially emerging Asian cities with vast extremes of socio-economic conditions, there are so many life forms all interpreting what's possible within the public domain and we in the western cities are often just trying to regain other forms of a less inhibited life. Yeah, things <laughs> you know. that used to be. Yeah. Somehow. 
Yeah. Now let's put the table on the sidewalk. That's crazy. Wow. Um, look, I, what I'd love to do in this last 20 minutes is, is really throw it open to the, to the floor. Um, it probably would be best if we could actually use the mic. Would that be possible to take it around this space, Katie? Uh, yeah, thanks. And so, uh, would anyone like to buy in on this? Uh, any antagonistic kind of uh, um, irritations, thoughts you had, or, or, or examples that you have uh, that, that actually will, uh, will develop this, this thread a little bit further? Okay, Sally. Hang on, we wait for a mic. Thanks, Sally. Really a question to Xavier. So, um, yeah, we've heard really interestingly about a whole kind of, um, I guess, um, spectrum of um, making work, doing it, situating it, you know, from the sort of the, the festive in, in the city to things that happen in highly controlled, you know, museum situations. And Xavier, I suppose I'm just and you have sort of hinted at some of the reasons why you might do this, but could you just talk a little bit about what draws you into the museum or the gallery for your work, rather than onto a tram? Mm. Mm. Um, well, f first is uh, the invitation of people to, to, done to me to do things in these spaces. Um, and I, um, I take the invitation, and I, I, I like also the this idea because uh, I, it's in what I said before. It's another set of of conditions. Uh, time and space is uh, produce very different social possibilities in a exhibition space than what they are in a theater. So. Uh, as as I am very uh, curious about the how this condition the relationship between not only between people but also between then or th let's say rather through the relationship between the the object of art or the experience of art and the the public um, I, that's what drawn what that's what is interesting for me to go in another set of relationship because then there are this other uh, possibility for for uh, producing a, a, a group or, or what kind of, of, of collective or commune experience uh, one can uh, one can do and um, to say it shortly I think the, the, the theater uh, produce a situation where it's very much um, a place where you don't choose your time, you don't choose your space. So it's very, somehow, it's not free. But you have this experience in community, so collectively. So it produced this community, which I think we are in lack in, in or I have this lack in the society. On, on the other side is the exhibition space. You choose your, as a, the public, the visitor choose the time and the space. You go whenever you want, you go where you want, you stay how long you want. It's very free, it's very free individual, very contemporary uh, space for our society. But at the price of it's very individual, meaning individualistic. So, and that's, 
I think another a problem, another problem of the of, that we have or that I, I feel in the society, like being pushed to function uh, alone or autonomously, the, the more and more. It's more efficient. It's more so. So I think one should fight against this, and so that that says a little bit this the use of these two spaces, and then if you. I think it's uh, you. You can continue this thought at, to other public spaces at, uh, uh, and see what what they can do and what. Uh, so yeah. Do you want to take that any further, Sally, or should we? Do, uh, anybody else like to? Did you, yeah. Yes, yeah, she yeah, does. Okay. Yeah. So does that? Um, I suppose I was just wondering then. Does that? Um, so, but the, I guess the gallery space is also very individualistic in terms of the name of the artist and the, whereas perhaps the, the kind of tram event may not be, I, I doesn't, yeah. doesn't necessarily work that way. But so I just, yeah, just sort of wondering about the name of the artist and, and so on, how, how the gallery might, um, you know, really prop up that could be a good thing. I'm not mm. judging that, but yeah. Yeah, good or bad, as it's something to use. Yeah. So. It also gets back to this thing. I think I I began talking about the project with that people really were eager to know what you wanted from mm. them because your name was, you know, the the conditions of the experience produced this yeah. desire for them to know. Yeah, and over the over the three weeks, I think we 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 produce a, a group of people where everybody can answer, and has hopefully a different kind of answer and a different. So, at the level also of the of well, let's say the the name is used to produce that to produce uh, the situation and to produce that we we actually produce a, a way of being in in a group that is made possible by the use of the names, but the names are, at the end, uh, allowing other, other subjectivity to, to enter. Uh, through my experience with working in group, when I tried, every time I tried to make a, a, a initiate a work, a work where it's from everybody and it's all everybody, then it comes always back to me. So the name becomes actually stronger and people fight because I say this and I didn't prevent. And so, so we are in this, in this fight of the, and what we did, we just reproduce what we already know. So the, yeah, it's, there's no, this is not a good solution. There's no good or bad solution. Sometimes like this, sometimes like this. It was interesting. We had a press conference. Whenever there was a press conference, it was all of us. It was the 20 of us, not just Xavier and Scarlett, which mm. produced an, an interesting... Uh, in fact, Amara, who was in the project, was quoted in one article I read, was quoted way more than <laughs> <Yes>. Xavier. <laughs> so it, it, it did kind of... The name, his, your name, produced the possibility for this other kind of situation and experience to happen, actually. So that was interesting. I think the name, uh, while, it's, while it's clearly um, uh, focused on within the visual arts, I, I think it is equally focused on in dance, wouldn't you say? I mean, in, uh, in, in particular, so with very particular dance companies with very particular directors, likewise in musical theatre. The, the idea of the name is uh, is what is what continues to sell. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Can can I do oh, an sorry, end? We, we need the mic, Sally, if you're going to continue. Does that, ah. wait, oh, oh, ah, <laughs> <laughs> too late. Because <laughs> um, I wanted to do an and just to that, mm -hmm. to um, it being in a gallery and and focus on the name. And I think that that's what is foregrounded and that what that's what becomes really interesting because as you were saying, I also saw um, temporary title 2015 or experienced it, saw it, experienced it, participated in it. But, you know, through foregrounding this um, as an exhibition, that then this kind of question of subject-object relations is foregrounded in a way that then is transformed. And so, you know, I think that it doesn't then become this space of the name and, you know, the subject looking at the object in a gallery space, because one was um, looking at naked bodies, so it wasn't either, you know, a sense of objectifying that or subjectifying the body. One was as a um, the public or a visitor asked to think about these relations. And I think, you know, this word interaction, you know, just in the discussion, I think we can either think about these things as happening, you know, between people, say, or we could think about the relation that then actually produces people that are viewing it, you, you know, you become visitor, public, performer, a whole range of things. So it's the relation, I think, that's becomes highlighted and critical through this movement into the exhibition space. And I, I also saw Self Unfinished, and having seen Temporary Title 2015, or the open rehearsal the day before, um, what was, what, what was foregrounded again for me was the audience and this relation of the audience. And everybody, Xavier was the only person there on the stage and the, all, the whole audience was suspended. You know, like, it was just interesting, this kind of production. And it would have been fasc fascinating, to, Xavier, to see what you were seeing back of all these people sitting there, kind of a huge diversity of individuals but all suspended, waiting for, for the start, I guess, you know, of what would then become what they'd come for. So I think this idea of working the relation is, is really sort of powerful mm. and what I take from, from, from the work. Mm. Anybody like to pick up on this further? Xavier, can you... Discuss your collaboration with Tino Segal and how this has evolved and how you reflect on it. Um, so, the collaboration is a funny <laughs> title. <laughs> uh, well, there is no collaboration, or <laughs> I don't know. Uh, friendship, yeah, it's it's more of it's a friendship. So as friend, you 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 talk or you discuss, and uh, the the work is is one of the one of the topics of the discussion between between us. Um, so I can talk about how these <laughs> talks have developed, but I would not call them necessarily collaboration. Um, 
how did they develop from the moment uh, Tino asked me a tape in my studio in 95 to make his work that allows him to go in the dance school to now <laughs> the last talk I had with him. I think at the moment we talk a lot about relationship. That's um, that was not so present uh, in the in the early days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I noticed the word title, um, the, the title collaboration, or the title temporary title, and mm. the nature of the title in an exhibition space, carriage work space specifically, or the gallery space, in a context where we're given an introduction to the indigenous custodians of this land and are aware of issues of native title. So for me, there's something interesting about, I mean, I was questioning this a, a little bit in the first encounters with the work um, and was wondering, uh, is this the best kind of space to give title, give some kind of underpinning or conditions for the work? Um, but I think I came out of it feeling that uh, it was a productive conditions in which to give a temporary, dynamic, provisional, improvised way of constantly being uncertain um, and unknowing about uh, what one is entering into here and the nature of that title shifting in one's entering into the work. So for me, then this, there is something interesting about the way that live works within spaces like, well, carriage works is perhaps more open than many kinds of gallery type spaces. There's more opportunities. It, it also inherits the kind of legacy of its former industrial use, etc. like many spaces. Um, but the provisionality to that, I thought was productive. Do you, want, do you want to talk a little bit further about the, the, your use of the name, names? The, yeah. the use of, I, um, well, I think it, it, yeah. it told it very well. Uh, <laughs> I think it's um, exactly. Uh, yeah, there's not nothing much I can add that I have this for this work. Uh, it was a very. Uh, Giving a title is always, a, a, or not always, is for me often a, a long process, very, very difficult. Um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's probably uh, a, a fear, a psychological fear of uh, fixing. Uh, naming is, is fixing, is, is, is maybe dying, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> How far you can go, but there is something to there is something to it in in um, in yeah in my relationship to to naming and and giving a title. But for for temporary title, I think uh, I'm also very happy about what finally like uh, it's it's operates to hear also how it, op how it uh, operates. There is a whole difficulty of, it's a whole difficulty of doing a work where you try to make something that uh, can escape the identification of a body to something or to, so 
giving a title is is exactly the opposite of what you want to do but you have to give a title because the the conventions um, need need the title uh, and if you would announce something that Xavier Leroy and Scarlett you and all the Naked collaborators then then you you then you have the yeah so it's funny because I always thought that you called it temporary title because the people from Keldor Public Art Projects wrote to you and said <laughs> could you just make up a temporary title <laughs> <laughs> you didn't make the deadline for title <laughs> no this isn't, this isn't what happened <laughs> We have we have time for one more observation, question, comment before we we uh, dive bomb for the last time by these little birds. I think we've actually taken over their nest, mm -hmm. uh, and they're doing this extraordinary performance through the yeah, centre no. of it all. Um, but if there if if you, anybody here would like before we before we finish up to contribute in in whatever way, it doesn't need to be a question. I always hate that thing where you obliged to only provide a question. There are many of you with uh, enormous numbers of expertise in, in this area of relationship, of, um, of working in spaces. So if there's somebody who'd like to uh, add anything at this point in time. Someone here wants to. These guys are. They're all, they're all talking. It's really, it's really fabulous. Some kind of crazy ritual they're doing. <laughs> No? Uh, okay, so... Um, oh, Tim. Tim? Okay. Um, <clears throat> okay, so it's not probably a question that's formulated yet, but I'll, I'll try and uh, circulate some of the thoughts and put them out there for discussion. Um, yeah, I guess I'm curious about uh, a few things related to the economy of time. Uh, and I think because we spoke a lot today about, um, about space, uh, space and time, like uh, in terms of public space, private space, institutional space, etc., uh, and the relationship of that time to, to the public and to the uh, performers or the artworks. Um, and I guess I'm also just... Imagining this this scenario with Becky uh, and the, si the situation when you were in that uh, public space and learning um, Ethiopian dances and, and kung fu and which I was very bad at, in case you're wondering. Yeah, and um, and just coming across, I guess, what would you say, ra random people? I mean, people who they were not random. They lived there. We were more random. Okay. Than they were. They, yeah. We were in their place, right? But they were very generously uh, helping us be there. So, so you were in there. I'm trying to understand what the space was. That's one question, and then also, um, kind of, what what was the economy of that time? Um, I guess, in terms of. The, the, the transaction of going to the theatre is quite a clear example for me because there's the ticket, you know, the people who, who pay for the time to see the work, um, you know, whatever that price is, and then the performers and the artists um, kind of producing the work in a live 
situation who are paid for that time. So there's a there's a clear kind of transaction, and then I'm wondering on a on a in this in this situation where it's uh, kind of their space and those individuals mixed with um, the individuals that you have uh, organised um, and met. You know what is the what is the economy of that time, and and also why does it why does it come to an end? And I think it is a lot to do with uh, the economy of time. Um. I agree. Uh, uh, just to be brief, we I think we had a and and plain <laughs> and to speak plainly, we had a thousand dollars, which I divided up and paid an hourly rate to the young people who were collaborating with me. And we had, we would bring something to eat and something to drink every day, so there was kind of a stuff to share. But um, other than that, the uh, they were the only kind of financial transactions that happened at all. But to continue it on, I think it would become more about it being a, a a space like an open shared space that people would actually go and rehearse in. I don't think I don't think it would sustain as what it was. I think it would transform, and I think that would be the interesting thing about it. So it could go mm. on forever, Xavier, mm. mm. because it would keep transforming in terms of whoever was participating. Mm. So it had that. It felt like it had that potential. So we'll see. Mm. But it's a ritual, you coming back one time a week that allows this. That's right, it was this, the so ritual. It was the, mm. it was the fact that we were there, everyone got used to us being there for that time and that space. Mm -hmm. More than used to us, kind of looking forward to it happening. You know, which would definitely shift over time. But I would see it as like people with no, no there being no financial transaction whatsoever in relationship to it all. It would be like a free space for everybody. It's kind of a utopian, uh, mm. <laughs> a utopian vision I have, but yeah. I mean, I imagine it could just chance. It could, at the very least, it would become something where people got used to seeing people making art in that context every week. So even if there wasn't any kind of um, direct interaction, people are just walking by that that thing happening somehow. I think I think that's why the kind of urban structures and you know trams and uh, kind of urban architecture and, and streetscape is an interesting example because uh, they don't disappear. You know those spaces continue that's to right. exist and, and and continue on a on a regular regulatory basis, um, and so you get the circulation of individuals that keep them alive as well. I think that might be a really nice place to finish up for the afternoon. The idea of of the continuing of, uh, of activities with different people in different kinds of transformed sites. So thank you all for coming and thank you to all of the speakers. Um, it's been uh, terrific to be able to uh, listen in. I don't get a chance to do this very often. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, thank you. And so there are two other, uh, Xavier will be here for two other events. Um, and of course, if you can get to see his performance as well, um, I'm sure that will, will support you further in, uh, in having questions and observations to bring to these events as well. Thank you all. <laughs>